Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Jim, first of all, thank you very much for being with us on The Opinion Line and, and my compliments on a, a most wonderfully put together uh, piece of work. You start out in the very early part of the programme by telling us that you are a storyteller. And I wanted to ask you, first of all, what attracted you to tell this story? Why did you want to tell this story in particular? You know, there's an easy answer to that, which is I was fascinated by the murder. But, like, you never know. A story doesn't... You don't go light bulb oh i'll do this story you start investigating something you put your toes in the water and then it takes you in and you suddenly are swimming and then you're out of your depth and then you're out in the ocean like i can't exactly tell you you know that i pursued this like some logical piece of work that you know i said oh i'll do this you know Mm. It, it it you start to investigate your own belief system, your own life. And somehow the story that you're pursuing ties into your own life in a way that's hard to explain. In a fiction, you start with a story and in a documentary, you start with an idea and end up with a story. Yeah. I was watching it with the wife the other night and, and she observed to me, she said, he seems very, personally invested in this the scenes particularly where you're going through data and documents mm. and photographs she said Jim seems very in personally invested in this now yeah well probably I am um, you know it's it's like I don't want to be trying to do the police's job or you know doing stepping over the line of where my responsibilities lie. But there is a part of me that's just trying to find justice for everybody. And, you know, I get pissed off with people not having done their job. You know? Are you critical of of, of the guy the handling? Because many people have been. Not really in that sense, not in the sense of, you know, what am, who am I to be critical? You know, I'm just observing what I see, which is, 
they start an investigation. They're barred from doing it in France. The only place they can do it in Ireland. So the only place they can get an answer is in Ireland. So what's that about? You know, then they start saying things like it had to be a logo. Well, good luck to them with that. That's a great assumption. Where did they get that? Had to be a local, like, no. It had to be someone who knew where the woman lived, where Sophie lived, you know? It's it's totally demented to make that statement to me. I suppose the, the, the assumption might have been, Jim, from the remote nature of the location. I mean, it is literally at the middle of nowhere. So Sherlock Holmes thinks it has to be a local. Like, let's just take that now for a second. A woman is killed in a remote location. So the first thing they say is, let's root everybody out except the locals. So get a little, you know, what, what compass and draw a five-mile radius around the house and it's somebody there. Does that make sense to you? Mm. Like, instead of, could it be to do with the husband? Could it be to do with somebody in France? Could it be to do with, like... No, we can't investigate in France, so let's draw a compass area five miles around the house. What about going to Paris and drawing a compass area five miles around the French house? Like, I, I'm just not saying that it was somebody French, but the assumptions that started this whole thing are just too hard for my head to deal with, you know? Mm. You feel a lot was left out. I feel that there's big issues like whether Europe is a federal union or an economic union or a legal union or a law and order union, and what happens if we get under stress and there's actually a war? What actually happens with Europe and Ireland and the whole thing? We now have a situation where the French police don't allow the Irish police to investigate or talk to anybody in France. And so if there was a, a murder of a French person in Ireland, or, a you know, no, sorry, if there was a murder of an Irish person in France and the French police come here, would we do the same? Just assume, PJ, because I don't want to get into it, but your wife, you're married, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yes. Goes down the south of France and she's murdered and the French police come over and the Irish police say, PJ is very well known on the radio, so you can't talk to him. Go home. Like, just think of how crazy that is. Mm. Yeah. Like, like, how crazy is that? And and what legal, what structures, what European structures are we talking about here? Or are we just going to do exactly as we're told in Ireland and obey, bow down and obey, yes or no, sir, three bags full, sir? I mean, that seems to me a fundamental issue in this case, you know? And I understand that, I, I actually think the Irish police were probably trying too hard, haven't been barred from fully investigating it. They're then trying to emotionally, to get emotionally involved and push it too hard. And, you know, mm. and the first man at the scene of the crime, obviously he did it, you know? Yeah. Like, is that like, on what planet is that make sense? Okay, here's the first guy to see in the crime. What, he's suspicious. Uh, he beat his partner up, so let's arrest him. He did it. That's not Sherlock Holmes exactly. 
there's five years work in this, Jim. Um, over those five years, you've kind of anticipated my next question. Have you learned stuff in the last five years that surprised you, that you were shocked to learn? Yeah, I did, yeah. Um, I've always been of the opinion that the thing that frightens me most, and not in a kind of overt sense, like the way you get frightened by the police or a robber or a gangster, but in an insidious sense by the Irish legal system, that scares me, you know? I saw it from when I was a child, you know? Kids taken off the street and put 200 miles away in leather frack, and should they all have to go before a judge who thought it was smart and kind to take them from their family and send them down to the Christian brothers in leather frack? You know, and that has always stayed with me as I'll be suspicious of the legal system until they show another face, you know? Yeah. And I felt. I felt an empathy for Ian Bailey on that basis. Um, And then, you know, that led me into the story. And the more I heard about what happened in the legal trials, the more I was banging my head off a wall, not able to understand it. Like you have a libel trial where one person totally purges themselves, but there's no retrial. This being Marie Farrell, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but like there was no retrial. There was no address of that. So instead of addressing that Marie Farrell turns around and says, you know, I was sorry I was lying. Everybody says, who was with you in the car? So you blame the victim. So now it's, oh, Marie Farrell is to blame. Well, she's not actually, you know. Yeah. She was foolish. She was unwise. She was trying to help the police and then she realized she was doing wrong and she changed her opinion and everybody in Ireland attacked her. Yeah. I just don't get it. it, it's, it and that, this is not to say, you know, that I know anything more than anybody else or that I'm telling you 100% Ian Bailey didn't do it. I'm just telling you what I observe. Yeah. And then in a second trial where that case against the police turned into a case against Ian Bailey, you know? Yeah. The judge had to constantly say, oh, you know, this is not a murder trial. Well, guess what? You know, and and this is nothing to do. Like Ian Bailey has his own faults and his own peculiarities, eccentricities um, and difficulties. But, you know, if a person's accused of a crime as high as murder, there's a big bar. There's a high bar, you know. And if there are perjurers and people lying about them, like at some point, somebody has to turn around and say, hey, what's going on here? Hmm. Yeah, you, you you focus as you would be expected to have focused a lot on, on Ian Bailey. How does he come across to you, Jim? Complex. Um, strong. Uh, weak. Um, like any human being, the stress he's suffered for 25 years, mm. you know, and I'm like, man, how did he survive that? So you can't like, so you, you put eccentric Ian over here and he wants to be a poet or whatever other crimes that he's supposed to have committed, like wanting to be famous or notorious or whatever. And 
like I just don't see it in comparison to what what he what he what he was accused of, you know. Yeah. And maybe maybe he just had to survive, you know. It's it's hard to keep your head above water if you know, we had 10 Irishmen, four called the Guildford Four, six called the Birmingham Six, all convicted. Most of them confessed. And this Englishman, not convicted, didn't confess, never said he did it. And he gets castigated, you know? Mm. And it seems to me that we'd prefer if somebody confessed wrongly and was put in prison so we could all feel sorry for them and that they're vulnerable. And maybe it's that Ian Bailey doesn't appear vulnerable is his problem. Mm. You know, he seems like somebody standing in the middle of a storm and he doesn't, it doesn't seem to affect them, but I actually think it's catastrophically affected them. You know, Mm. there was a story emerged at the weekend that Sophie's family were unhappy and that they wanted footage removed. Can you shed a bit of light on that other than what we've read in the papers? Like, have you had a falling out with them or what? What happened there, Jim? No, not really. I haven't had a falling out with them. I haven't really talked to them. The last time I spoke to them was at the French trial and they promised me that they'd do interviews and somebody said they signed an exclusive deal with Netflix. I never really thought that it would come down to that they wouldn't want the interviews I did with them in the dock, mm. but like they're the grieving family. Like they, they seem to believe, or at least we, we, from what we read, they accuse you of being very sympathetic to Ian Bailey. How would you answer that charge? Well, look at the documentary. I mean, most people say to me, it's very well balanced, you know, and don't forget I had to deal with, a huge compliance team in Sky, people who are every day saying to me, well, you can only say this or say that, Hmm. and who are very concerned with it being fair and abide by Avcom rules and have right to reply. And, you know, and I had to tiptoe, you know, and, you know, I, 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 I think we've been very balanced. I think as we we forget that, I guess, Jim, those who would not be program makers, we we would forget the level of compliance to get something like this to air. So you've you've been there and back with the legals. Yeah, and I'm sure Netflix have the same kind of stuff. I don't know how extensive. Um, And I'm not in... Like, I find it disgusting that people think I'm in competition with Netflix. Mm. Like... I'm in competition with the truth. I'm in competition with justice. I'm in competition, hopefully, with some high ideal, you know, that I've spent years and years on this story trying to get to the truth of it. And I'm not finished, you know. You're not finished. Is is, is there more to come? Yeah, there's more to come. Uh, You know, Sky have been amazing to deal with, really fair and, you know, and so concerned about the family that I can't tell you. I mean, the family only had to go boo and Sky would have taken that footage out. That was the reality I knew, you know, that they were never going to damage or or it be seen that Sky could even hair, hurt a hair on the family's head, mm. you know. Mm. They just weren't going to do it. Yeah. So I always knew if it came down to it and the family were unhappy with anything that... 
it would be surgical removal. Jim, you say there's more to come. Uh, we await that with interest. But my final question is, is I guess, a considered one. Do We'll start with the fact that you open by saying you're a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think we will read the closing chapter? Do you ever think we will really know what happened that night nearly 25 years ago? I wouldn't keep going if I didn't think that. I could be wrong. Um, I think that it's kind of like, a, you know, it's it's kind of like the difficulty is if you wanted to convict Dean Bailey of the crime, the best way to do it would be to allow into your mind the fact that he may not have committed it. The minute you're on, he had to commit it to make sense. You can't investigate it fully. It's just not possible. So you're kind of on a proving your thesis as opposed to looking at facts. And that's the difficulty that surrounded this case. That, you know, nobody has, well, first of all, there's only one half of the story, which is the Irish half. And it's the French half I am now interested in to try and end the pain for the family. That's Mm -hmm. kind of where my head is at. Mm. Because reading the Sunday papers, one would have said there's a bit of a rift there. There's not. No, no. If there is, it's 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 one way, you know. Mm. Lastly, Jim, do you have at this stage, or have you formed in your own mind your own picture about what happened on that fateful night? Well, here's the thing. When we first met the French family, everybody was talking about the jinx and how Robert Durst confessed. And I actually think, even though that trial hasn't come to trial, the supposed confession that he made on audio, I'm not sure it's a confession. And I think, you know, it was discovered, like, just as they were going to air. And I think maybe the family might have had the impression that we would get a confession or could get a confession from Ian Bailey. And believe me, we tried. And... So for six years, you know, Ian Bailey has recorded himself, both blindingly sober, totally depressed, sometimes with a few drinks taken, and never got close to a confession. So I can't, um, I'm not sure if I went down and had a thumbscrew that I'd get a confession out of Ian Bailey. So the idea that I was, somebody was going to, miraculously come up with that was never going to happen. So what I just say is that it's for your sanity. It's very hard if, if your justice depends on one person being convicted, you know, Mm. and there's a very thin line, I suppose, between justice and revenge, you know? Now, I don't think that the family are out for revenge. I think they're just out for closure They just want it to end, you know. And it's prudent, I guess, to point out that, look, Ian Bailey has always uh, and continues to deny any involvement in the killing of Sophie Tosca and Duplantier. We look forward to hearing your next chapters, Jim. And uh, thank you, if for nothing else, for five hours of compelling television. (laughs) Yeah, God bless you, PJ. Okay, And I hope your listeners all 
understand that I'm not out to, it's, you know, to me, it's not just entertainment. Courts 96 FM.